Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. First off, thanks for coming. And I want to start, I got this email from a, a listener. It was the, some of the most helpful feedback. He's like, look at every time you have a, someone on who does YouTube, all you talk about is YouTube with them. <laughs> and I was kind of like, and he, he basically said like, I'm not really, I don't think I'm, I'm not really that interested in that. Just FYI. And it hit me just like a brick. I was just like, oh yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, this is, so well, I would love to talk about YouTube this whole time. Um, we'll just set a lunch date for that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but I wouldn't talk about hunting more, which is actually probably more fun to talk about anyways. Um, so maybe start, um, give the viewers a, just a, a tiny background and maybe start with how, who taught you how to hunt, how you got into it long before born and raised and just sort of what your, uh, upbringing was. And then we'll, then you can tell us about yeah, born and raised. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting enough is I'm here on Curry road, which I grew yeah. up on. Uh, my parents live about 1.8 miles down the road here. Yeah. Um, and so I grew up in Sportsman's Paradise, literally living on the river, had the opportunity to duck hunt before school, you know, do, wow. do it all. Um, and my dad really was the guy that he facilitated um, every opportunity as a kid. And, mm. and he even changed his personal hunts to make sure that I had fun. And so it was that mm. was a big specifically when I was in third grade, nine years old, it, it was my time to get, get to go on an elk hunt with him. So, wow. you know, did the drive up the Cascades, hunted his stomping grounds, had an amazing experience, saw an elk, heard an elk bugle, and like from that point on was hooked. So archery bow hunting or bow hunting elk was kind of like the the catapult for it. Um, let me go back two steps. A, a lot of places in the U.S. and probably the world kind of, uh, understand their local hunting area well enough to feel like it's it's amazing for the outdoors like anybody in utah or even arizona mm-hmm. and idaho and even like texas and back east there's aspects to hunting and fishing that locals will sp- speak about it like well this is the place yep. so make the case or at least explain to people what it is about this part of oregon that makes it um nice for for outdoorsmen i think the diversity and the opportunity you're an hour from the ocean you're an hour from the cascades you you live in um so we've got we've got steelhead salmon smallmouth bass on the fishing side of it some trout um and then on the hunting side of it we've got great waterfowl hunting here amazing elk blacktail deer Hmm. Now, uh, Columbia whitetail, bear, like the whole gambit of pretty much any species in the lower 48, you know, you can chase within the state. So aside from moose and a few other things. So it's really for me and and now traveling and seeing a lot of things like there's a lot of cool destinations to go hunt, but it's always kind of like back home still has a Mm -hmm. big chunk of my heart. So yeah, it makes sense. Some places in the Midwest, it's like there's great hunting for whitetail deer yep or something like that yeah i I, I just went and experienced that for the first time and it was we went to kentucky west virginia and ohio oh wow and there was like some similarities about like terrain features but different hunting in the hardwoods but the culture you know is 
totally different. Um, even the hunting culture is different in that sense. In, in what way? Um, you know, it was, I think there's like out there, there's whitetails and turkeys and that's like the two strongholds of how, you know, here you, you can elk hunt, you know, you uh-huh. can bear hunt all these other aspects. And so there's some people that dabble in like turkey hunting here, but it's definitely not like a stronghold where you go back there and it's like everyone, you know, mm. turkey opener, that's, they're not working. They're going hunting that yeah, day. That makes so sense. it's just, yeah. I went to Arkansas duck hunting this last year and there was every gas station at 4am was busier than it was at noon. Wow. And it, everyone's towing a boat and the nine year old kid can blow a duck call better than <laughs> I ever imagined, you know? And it's just, yeah. they like in Arkansas, they, they figure out how to work so then they can take off because their duck season's only 60 days and they hunt every single day for 60 days. Like that's just wow. So a lot of like trades got, you know, guys in trades and they'll work all spring, summer into the fall and then come November one or, you know, those openers, that's what they do. That's interesting. You know, in terms of culture, like people who don't hunt, myself included, you can kind of think of it as a more general thing. Like, oh, you're like getting ready for a hunt or like stopping at a gas station. But I don't know. I could imagine the vibe being so different you know, between a hunt where you're hiking in the Rockies or around here for elk or deer or whatever versus having a boat on yep. and all the gear that goes with the boat and even all the preparation that goes into getting a boat. It's, it, that would be a very different uh culture yeah even that even though you're there two hunts it would it would be quite different yeah it is and like waterfowl side of life is i think there's it's a i don't know i wouldn't say community base but back there there's like duck lodges and so people a lot of times they save up and they buy into this duck club and there's a clubhouse that on the weekends everyone drives from wherever they live to go to the duck shack and stay at the duck shack and it's I don't know of a fraternity of sorts, but I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, a, like a country club. Exactly. Yeah. And, and they, it's all about, they go out duck hunt in the morning, they come back, they have a big meal at lunch, a big dinner, you wow. know, tell stories, sit on the porch, smoke cigars. It's just like a, like, that's what they do. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's, it was neat to see the difference, you know, for, we're here. Um, not like that at all. Yeah. So, so at what point, like you said, you, and you, I should have given that context, but I'll, I'll circle back um, where we're at. And you, we don't have every guest in the studio here, in the shop studio. So this is cool. Yeah. And uh, in case you guys missed that, Cody grew up on this road, which we're outside of town. This is not like some major thoroughfare. It's basically a dead end road. So we're, <laughs> we're on his home court right now, yeah. more, more, than, more than anything else. And anyway, so you're duck hunting in your, on the South Umpqua right yeah, here South as Umpqua a kid. Yeah, right here, like literally. Before school. <laughs> um, so Cruz Farms, like when Don had it, had permission on all their ground. Wow. Um, I had trails cut in at like the Baumgartner's house, like all these houses along the road, you yeah. know, to go access different points of the river. Uh, grew up with a lab, so it was just like. I don't know how many times I went duck hunting. Like I said, in grade school, my parents would let me go down to the river, take my dog. I'd have my decoys. I'd hunt yeah. for an hour, then catch a ride to school. Wow. Um, killed my first deer, actually, right. It used to be a prune orchard right at the Curry Quail Junction. Really? Yeah, I went with my bow. That was my first deer, first big game kill with a <laughs> bow. Um, huh. Yeah, first duck, first goose, pheasant, quail, all that was... 
Wow. On this road. So in case, in case, uh, anybody was wondering how they came up with the name born and raised outdoors that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone, everybody else in your crews kind of got yeah, the similar exactly. story, right? Yep. Yep. So no, it's been a blessing, like I said, and now being a father and having kids and the interest level peaking with them, uh, it's cool to kind of, yeah, it was fun for me. Like this last year, my dad, uh, drew an antelope tag. So it was just him and I went on this hunt and I'm like, dad, don't worry about groceries, camping gear, all that. Like I've got it taken care of. And I, it was, for me, it was like role reversal Yeah, and he got to sit in the chair. I cooked dinner, had ribeyes for him every night. Like wow. it was, it was an experience that the whole time we were both smiling. Cause I was just like, thanks for everything you've done for me wow. and the opportunities you've paved. Um, and now it was a chance to repay him. So I'm learning that as I've got a bunch of kids as listeners know, and you don't realize how much work your parents put into you yeah. <laughs> until you've done, until you're doing it yourself exactly. and you're like going camping. Yeah. A lot of kids are like, Oh yeah, we go camping in my family. And now my, I'm, I'm like, Whoa, doing a camp out. I don't know. That sounds like a lot. It's a lot of work. And so definitely to your point, saluting the parents who put in that work yeah. to get their kids, uh, a taste of it. So what about hunting? Cause I, I, you're obviously maybe not just this hunt with your dad, but even if your kids, if they're approaching that age, hunting is maybe evolving a little bit in terms of the goal. Yeah. What's that, what's that evolution been like? It's, you know, it's a, a little bit of a challenge to navigate it through with us making content and focusing, you know, having a business behind it and now including our kids where we can. Um, and I think, even more so like I see in the next five to 10 years where my shifts, it's not anymore about my opportunities. Like what opportunities can I help with them Mm. and the kids? Um, Like Cohen, who's four now and he was three. I took him on his first duck hunt um, day after Christmas over in the Coquille Valley. And cool. It was awesome. Like he had his little, bog boots that are you know <laughs> yeah. six inches tall and i'm out in knee deep water and he's like dad i want to set the decoys i'm like you can't you can't come out here and by the end of it uh and i made it about whenever he wants to pull the plug i did you know no pressure so yeah. we hunted about an hour and he's like dad i'm cold i want to go I'm like okay <laughs> so i'm out picking up decoys the next thing you know he's waist deep in the wow. water picking up decoys with me and so I bought him a set of neoprene waders and now there's no puddle safe. Like he just, he has to go into every piece of water when he goes now. That's cool. Um, but he's, he's having a blast at it. And my daughter hasn't had the interest until about two months ago. She's like, dad, I want to go hunting. So, hmm. um, I'm going to take her on a spring turkey hunt here in a couple of weeks and just like I said, make it about them. And if, if yeah. she wants to keep going, keep going. If she's like, oh, I'm done, like, let's go have breakfast. Yeah. And, you know? Yeah. Build it, those memories. Yeah. That's really cool. It's like, it's a fine, it's a fine line also in put, obviously you'd probably love ha- having your, your kids be into hunting, but I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's I'm, up to them. I'm not, uh, I think in anything, one, the one thing I'm never going to push them to do something that they're not interested yeah. in. So if they show the interest and ask and want to do it, I'll facilitate however I can. And if like my daughter loves riding horses with my wife and, she wants to do that, then we'll spend time riding yeah. horses together. So it's so tough because this is not just hunting, but that concept of like should of pushing your kids into doing things. 
I, there was things I was pushed into doing that I really hated that now I'm kind of like, yeah, that was the right thing. Like my, my parents didn't make me, but my dad, like, he's like, you should do wrestling when I was in ninth grade or maybe eighth grade. It was like the first time I'd ever done it. And I just got destroyed. It was so rough. You know, it's like wrestling gets these kids who started when they were four four, and around here wrestling's huge. huge. Yeah. And so I like showed up and just got destroyed for like three years straight, just humiliated and I really did not like it. And, uh, but man, I got to admit, it was so good for me to like go through that. Yeah. It's a little different than like hunting and hobbies. That's like, it's almost like making your kids work. It's like, they're definitely going to not like it, but tough. Right. Yeah. Probably hunting is a little different because that, that truly is like a, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's aspects I think of for us hunting, like I love backpack hunting mm-hmm. and putting in the time and effort and energy to yeah. go places where most people aren't going to go. So maybe that's the answer, but let me post the question. Has the styles of hunting changed from the time you were a kid? Not just like the type of hunting you do with a kid, but are people hunting in different ways now than they, than they were even, you know, 20 years ago? Uh, I don't know. Like for my, myself, my experience, I think my first overnight backpack, we did an overnight trip. I was like 10 years old with my dad, took a sleeping bag, ate an MRE meal, you know, okay. and, and, but we also brought fishing poles. So my, you know, mm. we went into a high lake and it was, it was, it wasn't an intense deal, but it was the opportunity to just be like, here's what there is to, to do and, and go enjoy it all. And yeah. So, um, I don't, I think, the one thing that has definitely increased is just youth opportunities with some pretty good tags mm. versus when I was a kid. That's it's so I think that's good. They have like in Oregon now they have a mentor program. So you used to not be able to hunt till you're 12 years old. Well, now you can hunt on uh, a mentor's tag at the age of nine for big game. Oh, so wow. there's you know three more years of opportunities to get yeah. experience and. One one thing that I've like gotten stuck at with hunting and a few different times I've like decided like, hey, I'm going to do a hunt and I always stall out in that process of trying to read the manual of figuring out when and where and how it was, it sounds crazy, but probably to you, it's like just second nature, but it's, it's not that easy. No. And so what, how do you, and how do you advise beginners in make even just some of that, like simple stuff like when and where and how it's and then not to mention different states where it's all always different um i it's a i I think now there's so much information out there it's almost probably an overload but like with the power of youtube and Mm -hmm. um like our whole mantra is to entertain educate and inspire so that education portion is like there's a lot of opportunities anyone can go do it it's going to take a little bit of time effort a little bit of money but um, it's a pretty daunting task to open up the regulations and be like, there's applications you got to put in for hunts and all that. Um, I think you got to just break it down and set one goal mm-hmm. and be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, for a, a lot of our viewers, especially, um, everyone East of the Rockies, like they think elk hunt is once in a lifetime opportunity. It's like, well, you could actually go do this every year for thousand twelve hundred dollars to save up do it on your own and so we've kind of tried to pave the path for people of pick a unit start researching figuring out areas talking to biologists go for a week Mm. and just 
trial by fire, you know, and make like the biggest thing I think is, um, people are so scared of failure. They have this fear of failure. Well, in my opinion, if it's like something you want to go do, go do it, experience it. And that's a success. You don't have to punch a tag at the end of the day. Yeah. And then learn from that one. Okay, cool. Next year or or the year after I'm going to go do it again. And, you know, and then over, and that's the one thing like kind of took for granted is the opportunity here in Oregon over the counter. We could go bow hunt. Like my senior uh, high school, I worked at Waldron's and I would try to work my schedule so um, I could hunt most evenings after work. I'd run up in the wow. Callahan's, you know, I mean, just every day to, and then getting those experiences with the elk and messing up and messing up and then, you know, mm. finally capitalizing. It was like that aha moment. If someone has a goal, let's say they're like shooting a bull elk is like, maybe they think of it as a lifetime thing. Fine. Um, what, what, how do you describe like the steps needed to even get to that? Should they start with like a duck a hunt and a turkey hunt? Or should you just kind of say, okay, start drawing an elk tag every year and start practicing? Like how, how would you like advise someone or it could be a deer tag or something, but how do you advise someone to like steps to take and expectations? So it's interesting. Like we talk about this analogy for me, spring turkey hunting, it's like bulls of the spring and, you know, comparison to elk hunting. Oh, really? Yeah, for sure. Huh. On a smaller scale, but. Because well, you call them in. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. The way we go about elk hunting is a lot of similarities of how we approach turkey hunting and trying to locate and, you know, using the terrain features to broadcast the sound and then to locate. And then the only difference is turkeys don't smell. So you don't yeah. have to worry about the wind factor, but huh. trying to figure out a setup and how to call them in and do all that. It's. Um, it's definitely kind of the foundational work of how you could go archery elk hunt. Yeah. So that would be a place to start. I I think so for sure. You know, and there's, there's a lot of opportunities on public land to chase turkeys in every state except Alaska. So there's turkeys. So interesting. Yeah. And that's a, that's a spring hunt also. So it's kind of like, you're you're not necessarily like foregoing your. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're not. And, um, so yeah, I think that's a good place to start. And then the other, you know, is getting proficient on a weapon, you Mm. know? So if you want a bow hunt, it's practicing every day with your bow and getting to where you have the confidence to, to shoot when you got an opportunity. Um, and then just woodsmanship, I think, that's kind of the lost art. I think a lot of people are trying to shortcut. They, you know, with social media nowadays, they see all these people killing all these animals and they, yeah. they just want that picture. So make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and enjoying the process of learning versus yeah. just the end result. Um, yeah, that's true. It's like, if you don't already enjoy hiking and camping and if, if that's not already a part of like your interest, then that may be a place to start Yep. before you dive into it. Yeah, for camping. sure hunting, backpacking, like triple header. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Well, that's really cool. Um, interesting about turkeys. I had never thought about that, but you're right. And aren't they kind of hard to find? Like they're like skittish and a little bit like getting them actually close enough to take a shot. Yeah, no, the eyesight is incredible. Um, you think of them as big, dumb birds. Is that well? So I would say in the case of Douglas County, which is the number one county in the state for turkey population. Really? Yeah, it is. So like in, in growing up, like the only thing I ever turkey hunted was, you know, we got Aunt Beth's place over here. It's five acres and the turkeys are fed by the neighbors and they roost <laughs> over here and they come through by the barn and, yeah. you know, doing that whole deal. And it's only in the last few years that I really transitioned <laughs> to, to hunting public land turkeys. Hmm. And 
now my like pure enjoyment is just trying to find new areas and new spots. And, um, here locally, they trap a lot of the birds that are here and pl- transplant them on public ground. So mm. there's turkeys kind of all over now. Um, and I, I think there was some back in the day when I was a kid, but over the last 20 years, it's definitely in the population's increased. Um, so yeah, they definitely, if you drive by, by my place at looking glass, I've got 12 gobblers that are always in the driveway and you're like, yeah. oh, they're dumb. Now going and experiencing hunting in the hardwoods in the Appalachians and that Kentucky, West Virginia, Ohio, you don't see that. Those birds are always in the tr- like in the woods, away from people, yeah. away from the barnyards. And it was, yeah, it was an eye-opening experience and a definitely a big challenge. And you, you think about how those animals have evolved and how they exist in the wild. And you think of them, I, you kind of think of them just like a freebie for a, a whatever, a falcon or a bear or something to like to snack on like oh there's it there's an but in in other words they've probably developed some real uh stealthy sneaky yes uh tactics to stay out of sight like i said their eyesight's incredible we we do a trip every year down to california and there's some area that we hunt and there's a lot of open it's like river bottom stuff and some places you can see three four hundred yards we stepped out and i would like just exposed myself into the sun instead of being in the shadow and didn't even see this turkey in 300 yards, just got up and flew away. And it was like, Oh man. Wow. Yeah. So the yeah, eyesight's an incredible feature. That's their number one defense is eyesight. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. The, you always think about Eagle eyes cause they're like looking for the mice, but it's like same, same basic uh, type of animal with the bird. So it's probably yeah. the, the similar type of eye situation it'd be interesting to learn about yeah yeah it's kind of like chicks in fact people might be able to hear um i I gotta mention it but there's a six little chicks over you might hear them cheeping and i don't know if it's their eyesight but they have some instincts as well like if i just like put my hand anywhere over them they start freaking out Mm -hmm. and going nuts like they're already like thinking like that like paying attention to what's engineered yeah yeah death from above (laughs) yeah they are yeah it's really funny i i we don't, I'm not used to chickens and chicks, but these guys, they don't like it if something's yeah. over top of them. I'm sure yeah. turkeys are that yeah, way, same, too. Yeah, same deal. Same with waterfowl stuff. Like, really? Yeah, we've flown some drone stuff just for footage. And, I mean, in the presence of that overhead, boom, they just take They're off gone. flying. Yeah. Did you, so you, you were hunting as a young kid. Did you have an interest in you know video and content and kind of filming things as well? A lot of people do that when they're younger. Did you? Were you doing that? So we picked up a camera in 2007, and it was... So I was 25, I think, or some somewhere in okay. there. Um, and it was solely based on not seeing what we knew as hunting on TV at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like, well, that's not what we do for hunting. So let's just document our own, you know, and the goal of putting out a DVD at the time. And there was, there was two, two particular DVDs that I'd seen that year prior that was like the final straw that like sparked this whole interest one was a fly fishing DVD called Trout Bums, where they went to New Zealand, lived in wherever they they had this little van that they bought and mm. basically made a road trip out of it and documented it. And it was like, I never had the interest to go do that, but like how they filmed it and how they presented the content, I was like, I want to do that for hunting. Mm-hmm. And then there's actually two brothers um, from Glide, Joe and Jason from On Foot Films, oh. and they documented a hunt in Hell's Canyon and saw that DVD and all the work that they put in. And it was like, 
that's awesome. So that was kind of the, the final inspiration. So you're kind of like, let's get a camera and yeah. we're, we're doing these hunts anyways. Yeah. And we couldn't, you know, I was freshly out of college. I could afford top ramen and can, can of chicken noodle soup. So Trevor, who's a partner in Born and Raised, he was going to dental school in California. And he's like, well, I got extra money from my school loan. So we bought a camera <laughs> with his school loan money. Wow. And Canon GL2 picked it up and wow. started press and record. Holy smokes. Hey, so explain about DVDs because that's an interesting part of like film that doesn't maybe, ex- I don't know if it still exists, but like for a period of time and not just hunting, but like motocross and surfing and skiing, these, these videos would come out and they're not in theaters or anything, but yeah. in the niche, they're, they're huge and they're, there's legendary ones and it's, it's huge. So yep. it, give us the background on the hunting uh, videos or DVDs or kind of yeah, what that's like. Yeah, so that was, um, it was actually a guy here in town, James Kyle, that taught me how to edit. And he's like, well, you can put this on DVD. And he even, actually in 2007, he's like, there's this new thing called YouTube. You guys should put it on YouTube. And I'm like, well, that's for funny cat videos. Yeah. It would, it would have been curious to know where we would have been if we would have started in two, 10 years before. But yeah. um, so we made we filmed our first year and it took me a whole year to edit the dvd you know after work and weekends and and then it's like well we bought a thousand dvds now what so then i had to call the basically our distribution was all the archery shops and so so you make the video you have someone print or uh, what do you call it print or produce the 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 dvd yep and you got and you got like five boxes of them yep okay and then just started they cost us a dollar 20 each or something i think and had a thousand dvds we sold for 20 bucks and it took us about a year to go through that whole thousand and then we launched the next dvd that was 2008 and then 2009 we came out with a dvd it was called the reason it actually had two seasons of filming the 2008 and 2009 wow so does anybody still put out dvds in that way um there's only one one person I know is called White Tail Adrenal- Adrenaline, and, and they do longbow stuff and spot uh-huh. and stock, and they still do DVDs. And, 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 so. and what's everybody else doing? YouTube? Mm-hmm. YouTube or kind of any of the streaming platforms. TV. So we, we did the DVDs, and then in 2013, uh, we got approached by Sportsman's Channel, so we did a TV show for a year realized that was kind of a racket oh you know had to pay a bunch of money to put our stuff on the air oh and basically all the sponsorship dollars we raised went straight to the network and like everybody made money but you exactly (laughs) yeah yeah so um and then in 2010 we started a full draw film tour so it was like the concept of warren miller ski films Mm mm-hmm and we rented out a theater, sold tickets, had multiple filmmakers bring bring their own content to it. And so that actually was what the catapult for me to quit my job in 2013 was the film tour. So wow. we traveled around. I was at North River Boats at the time and um, started putting on shows. Our first one was in Coos Bay. We did a Roseburg and a Bend show in 2010. And then 2011, we added, I think, Boise and Portland. And then it grew, and I sold that in 2017. I think we did like 35 shows that year across the U.S. And now the guy that, Jade, that bought it from me, he's got 60 or 70 shows booked across the U.S. So he's still doing it, which is kind of cool. Like that, and that was, it was fun. We did that, basically we did shows from May through 
early August, so through the summer, which was tough with people and schedules, but it was like the ramp up into bow season and you know, like a little bit of an off season to kind of like, yeah, get everyone excited. But the energy when you had like Boise has, I think 700 seats in the theater, we sold it out two nights every year. And so having that energy of all these bow hunters in one place, and we did a big raffle and giveaway and fundraiser, um, for a couple charities. And yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, what is, so now these same hunts, let's say are getting uploaded on YouTube, rather streaming things and, and you guys are putting them out as well. It's still just as much work editing and filming and putting it all together. Um, and I've noticed on YouTube, each different genre has its own almost culture and like way that, that things work. So what, what is the hunting, um, YouTube like, you know, from your perspective and, and what, Um, what type of content are people putting out and is that changing and has that changed over the years? Yeah. So I think we did a good job of paving the way in 2017, uh, along with another couple creators that were doing a day by day documentary. So we did this project called land of the free. Um, and so we, every day that we hunted, we made a video. So we hunted five States 50 days straight. Whoa. Um, so we, we just got tags wherever we could for elk um, we had Oregon, Wyoming, Colorado, Idaho, and Montana. And so we got, we filmed until October, I think it was the 12th or something like that. And then we set the date, November 1st, we're going to start uploading. So wow, every day at 5 PM. So it was just Trent and I editing and he would rough cut, I'd finish edit. And then every day at 5 PM, we'd have a video up. Wow. And so we did 50 videos, 50 days straight. And that was, Jeez. you know, I mean, it, it was, it was great. Cause we had a phenomenal season. We killed a bunch of bull. I think we killed like 12 bulls that year across all those hunts and the energy of people watching just mm-hmm. like kind of built this bonfire that was like, just kept adding gas to it and it got bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, we rode that way for a few years. And then this last year, it's like, maybe let's scale back the quantity and increase the quality. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of shifted to do with the same kind of concept. We didn't hunt, we hunted about we, this year. We st- last year we stayed in the state of Oregon instead of traveled all over, mm. but we had some really good tags and a lot of good opportunities. Yeah. It'll happen. I know we talked earlier about hunting evolving just and personally separate from filming, but as your kids get older, I mean, going on a 60 day hunting road trip extravaganza is going to only become more difficult because yep. they're going to be like, your, your kids will be like, oh, I'm coming. Yeah. And you're like, mm. <laughs> well, my son was six weeks old when I left and you know, when, he, when I got back, he doubled in age. <laughs> it's like, yeah, wow. wow. And doubled in size and yeah, everything. Exactly. Huh? Yeah. So yeah, we definitely, you know, family's number one for us. So we've, tried to make it and kind of before we all tried to do it all, all go on everything. And mm-hmm. now it's like, all right, let's two of us go here and one person go here yeah. and kind of divvy the load a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, so you talked about editing and I promise I'm not going to get deep into YouTube, but talk about you. So you, you're still editing and putting content out and you work in like a shared office kind of a space. Yeah. I, I work from home and just, so the viewers understand my office is 
it's like it's combined with a laundry room and uh-huh. the entrance and the kids are like coming and going and it's man i've i've thought a lot like man i wonder if i'd be so much more productive if i had a a quiet office space but at the same time like that i like what i'm doing because because i get to work from home and i, I assume the same with you yeah. You're, you are your own uh boss so to speak so where where do you work the best how do you edit the best where are you most the most creative or is the creativity done by the time the editing starts and and what that phase of like your work like so for me having the office space like i worked from home for a year after i quit north river 2013 and then in 2014 is when i got the office at the loft and it was like a good switch for me because it's like whatever i'm doing i'm kind of all in and yeah so when i was home i couldn't focus on home but i also couldn't focus on work i had a hard time separating the two um, so now for me, it's it's a good place to go have things. When I walk out of there, I try to just leave yeah. that there and, and then come home and be present. So it, yeah. it it's it's a good for for me in particular. It works well. Yeah. Um, and now we actually have two camera guys and two edit or, and they edit as well. So my hands on on the editing is pretty minimal anymore. So yeah. we we kind of. We storyboard as best we can going into the field, but a hunt, you never know how it's going to unfold. Um, but then when we circle back, we'll go through our field notes, and then here's what we want to show and how it works out, and then kind of just have a final review process before the video is done. So. Um, about going in other states, I, it's, it's daunting enough for me as a non-hunter to think about like going even somewhere close because I feel like I have no idea what is behind mm-hmm. that hill and where am I, where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And that's a barrier for me to feel like, well, then how could I hunt back there? I wouldn't know if I'm... Anyways, what's that like going in other states? It's, it's even tougher. Are there people who are, are hunters generally like helpful and friendly or are they like fishermen who are like, yes, Hey, what are you using for bait? And they're kind of like, yeah, get lost. What, th- what's it like going into these new places? It's, it's interesting. So there, I think there's, there's two caveats. There's the guys that are willing to, Hey, come check this out. I want, and I think it, a lot of it now is like, they want to see us in that space that's local to them. Mm-hmm. So then it's like that familiarity or like, Oh, mm-hmm. they were successful here or, or man, they struggled here. I knew, you know, and mm. so, um, and then there's the other types that I'm one, like hunting numbers have been on the decline, but in the archery big game, things have been on the upside. And I think there's a lot of contribution of the content we put out of just saying, Hey, we could go do this. So there's some people that kind of have, well, you're ruining my stuff or, you know, my spot. And the last thing we want to do is expose someone's honey hole. So we really try to film it in a way that yeah. you can't pinpoint exactly where you might be able to pick out a mountain range, but then past that, you know, yeah. it's, it's, and there's some people that I had a guy that came to the Portland sportsman show two years ago and he walked up on his phone. He's like, I found your camp in Colorado. It's like, which one, you know, we've run <laughs> wow. all over Colorado. He goes, this one right here. And he had a screenshot from the video and there was one pan shot that I missed that had one prominent peak in the background, but it was like two seconds across the screen. Wow. So he screenshot it and then he shows me, he gets on Onyx and Google earth. And he's like, this is how I correlated it. He, you know, he put a bunch of information together, like did this whole investigation and he went to that spot. I'm like, how was it? He goes, it was terrible. There's people everywhere. I'm like, yeah, that's why we didn't hunt it again. <laughs> you know? So it was like, wow. uh, it was interesting to, that, that, we're under a microscope so much. So when you're editing 
prominent peaks and interesting crooks in the river and whatever you're kind of like we want trees and that's it yeah for the most part which is tough because like yeah. you can't show the beauty and the whole experience that you're seeing there yeah a lot of times um you know we've road signs anything like that we try to yeah cut out and, and we miss some and some people you know pick up on it and oh i camp you know i've camped here for 30 years it's awesome to see you guys here honey. yeah and then you get the other facet of it, overall the community we build is incredibly positive it's like yeah. looking at the you know it's 97 98 likes like it's mm-hmm. you know people like it when, when very rarely do we get a negative comment where in youtube yeah i mean there's some of the trolls of all trolls on the internet mm-hmm. there so it's kind of sad uh i understand why cutting those things is the only option but the obviously mountain peaks and all of these geographical features that are iconic to the area are so beautiful and such a part of the hunt even sometimes just the signs like when you roll into a certain national forest and you see like that shaped sign you're kind of like we're here right there's like a part of the vibe and the energy of the place like embodied in some of those types of things it's almost kind of trailheads for us yeah yeah trailheads like the departing you know and and there's a lot of stuff that like only if you've ever been there, you probably wouldn't know it, but mm. still you kind of have to just leave it off. We had a guy one year that he basically, every video we put out, he knew where he figured out exactly where we were, like every meadow, every, like wow. he knew, and he'd been in that country for whatever reason. He thought the need to like write on the comment section. Oh, oh to like, share it? Where to the, share it. Oh, geez. And he's mad at us. So I was like, well, you only know, you know that because you've been there, but now you broadcast it to everyone on the internet. Yeah. So we had to delete some comments on that. Yeah. That's, that's a hard to understand. That seems, yeah, it was not too bright. Yeah. It was, it was an interesting, (laughs) but I understand the people doing that because it's like this fun puzzle. It is a puzzle. It's like, I love maps. You probably do too. Mm -hmm. And like, I I could look at them all day. And so getting a couple clues and be like, Oh, I got to crack the code here. I can, I can see why people would be interested in doing that. Although like I said, sharing it in the comments is (laughs) hard to understand. Yeah, no, it's um, like I said, there's, we want to encourage as many people to get out there and go do everything that we can do. I mean, and, and so there is, it, it has hindered us in some facets because now getting tags in certain areas or states is getting harder and harder. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, like if there's not someone there that enjoys it, when the challenge comes up from antis or some legislation, there's no not a voice. So like now our big focus is more on the conservation and protection of, of things. I mean, case in point, we just lost the hatchery steelhead program here in, in, oh. on the North Umqua. And oh. we, I heard it kind of about late in the game. And so we made a big push with a couple of the local guides here. We had a ton of signatures and a lot of public support behind it. And still the commission voted against it. So Wait, maybe explain that. What, what's the program? We're not talking about the fish hatchery up on the Yeah, Rock Creek. Well, the so, one that burned down. Yeah. So basically it was part of, it, it kind of was a perfect storm for some like the native fish society to be like, well, don't spend the money to rebuild it. And, um, it, it's been a complex it. issue because in reality, the hatchery program doesn't science shows and, and staff recommendations. Like it does not impact the wild steelhead. 
Right. Um, but it was more of a political deal. And so in, in other words, the political energy didn't want to rebuild it and they don't want those farm fish in the river. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Wild. it's competing against, which is interesting. Like if you go back, I, th- I think that hatchery program started in the sixties, I believe maybe, maybe early seventies, you go back and look the peak years that the hatchery steelhead is when the winter or the wild fish peak, you know, it's like all those correlate when those are doing good. So it's like, if you add more fish to the system, I don't think it's a bad thing. And yeah. anyways, that is so sad. It, it really is. It's, um, there's actually a lawsuit against it now. Like the fish, wow. uh, the five tribes here around the area. And then, um, Umqua fish enhancement derby. And then one of my best friends, the fishing guide Scott's on, and then uh, county commissioner are all to wow. try to overturn it. But that yeah. is so sad. Yeah. It's, it's like, wow. Yeah. It's interesting. Like the, and just not to go into politics, but like Oregon, you know, typically gets ran by the big cities where the majority of the population lives. But then if you look at the spread of the map and how, yeah. how things are voted on, a lot of those those decisions were made. Those there was it was a four three vote, and three of the commissioners that voted on it never purchased a hunting license or a fishing license in the state, but they're on the commission. Had it's never like, probably seen the North Umpqua. Yeah, it's tough, like having someone decide in your own backyard how to how to operate. So, and that, that concept of hunting that is just true, where <clears throat> the more people are interested in hunting, it's just better for the wildlife because yeah. they they. They take care of it. They're stewards of the woods. They're stewards of the woods. It's the best possible thing. Even in the most extreme case where like a guy in Africa will pay a a huge amount of money to shoot an animal that's going to die anyways. It's like on paper, that can be written as such a crime, but the money goes to protect the other ones and the village benefits. And it just, it's like, it's just a good thing. These animals... Well, yeah. Nature, nature's brutal. Like how yeah. that animal would die otherwise. Is... Right. Oh, that's so sad about the fish hatchery. I did a, when I was a kid, I did some like scout service projects there, uh-huh. like clipping fish and everything. And it's a really neat place. That fire was devastating. Actually that I wanted to ask you about that. Um, forest fires. We had a few big ones here the last few years. Yeah. Do you have any, like any big, have those made big impacts on any of your hunting grounds? Has there been like total transformation in terms of how you hunt the area because of that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's uh, certain aspects of fires healthy, you know, and so uh, for an overall forest, I, you know, you take the Umqua National Forest in, in case s- since the spotted owl, they decreased logging. So then there was this decline in habitat because there wasn't some open canopy and feed and some of these opportunities for everything to flourish. Um, but then created all these massive fuels. So when that fire started, there was no fire breaks. It just blew up. Um, it's sad to me as my kids will never know the North Umquad drive. Like I knew the North Umquad drive like that. That's my, with the film tour, I traveled all over the U S and still when I hit 138 and I'm coming down the river, it's like the prettiest drive I've been in. And now it's, it's different. And there's some parts of it that, I can appreciate with the fire and the greenery and all that, but then you look at it and it's just like it's devastation. Yeah, for sure. Um, mm. But overall, um, the fires were pretty devastating. I, I know a lot of wildlife got killed during that, um, but hopefully in the cycle of the next 20 years as some of those burns recover and some of the natural seeding starts back and some timber starts growing again, it'll it'll be good, but... It's, uh, yeah. yeah. The, the one good thing about it is 
like I was actually up there turkey hunting uh, yesterday, and it was just the greenery is yeah you know where you don't just see the trees you get all this new fresh growth and yeah it is a different it's a different beauty it's beautiful and uh i don't know i don't know in 500 years nobody will know the difference i guess yeah right <laughs> but yeah but, our but for us and our kids it's a bummer it is it really is yeah um then my last question what's next for you guys Are you working on any big hunts or big projects coming up you got any like long, long-term cool hunts you guys would love to make a series about. Do you ever do like guided hunts where you go somewhere and they, some local pro takes you to find some certain no, animal or we do some collaborations oh. that, that, with guys doing the same thing, YouTube side of life. So, and some of them, have, you know, have the, like where I went out, uh, back East, I had hunted with the guys from the hunting public and the untamed. And one was from West Virginia. The other guys were from Iowa, but kind of turkey hunt all over so, oh, so you had some kind of guides yeah there, huh? yeah i had some insight on it mm-hmm. um but our we love that whole diy process yeah I, we don't have anything against guides and outfitters but um for us it's just trying to do it on our own yeah um we have in 23 we're going to do a fly-in kodiak island sitka deer hunt Oh, wow. So that's, we're going with, that one's actually with Wayne Endicott that owns the bow rack up in Springfield. Whoa. He's been doing it for a few years and he invited us. And so that's Whoa. Fly in with boats. He's got uh, some mud motors for these rafts. So when we hunt, then we, I think it's like 40 some miles. We go down the river and come come out. Um, So in November in Alaska, I mean, weather, rain, snow, wind, all of it, we'll get an encounter. So that'll be a good one. Um, and 24, we're hoping to go on a moose hunt and do, do a float trip for moose. That's been always kind of one of those bucket lists, Mm -hmm. but for us, it's tough. You know, September is hard to give up. You only have so many Septembers in a guy's life. So for us, archery elk is always the the forward focus. Yeah. Um, we did start a new channel this, um, when was it February? We started a second channel called The Flyaway, and that's oh. for our waterfowl and turkey content. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're kind of separating the, the yeah, two. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have learned, you know, the, the goods and bads of the YouTube algorithm Yeah, and your subscriber base. And it seems like you build this niche, and then if you put something that's not right in that circle, YouTube kind of kills it because mm-hmm. your viewers don't click they don't on it. engage with it. it engage. Yeah. So yeah. we've already got as many views on some of those turkey videos as we did on our big channel. So wow. with 6,000 subscribers. So it's like, interesting. Yeah. So it, it's a, it's another beast though. It was like, yeah, do we have the bandwidth to do this? And, but the way we changed our model and the content, it, I think it pairs well. So. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing. I'm a huge fan of hunting videos on YouTube in general, because uh-huh. it's like, it's like a lot of other, and I think I've mentioned this, a lot of other extreme sports where you get to like see and appreciate what a lot of hard work other people have put into something and you can really see things that you otherwise would never in your lifetime. And even like, you know, 50 years ago, you wouldn't see like, or hearing an elk come in and like that whole process, like that I can see that is just really cool. Thanks to, you know, work that you guys are doing and sharing that. appreciate that. Our big thing is like, just think like, every decision we make is that in the legacy plan, right? You know, and, um, I want to leave the opportunity better than what I had growing up. And we've seen the big factor there. We've seen some diminishing opportunities just here within our home state. That's like, 
man, when I was 20, you could go do anything, have a great experience. And it's, yeah. you know, becoming a little bit more pay to play and some of the private timber company and access and all that. Mm-hmm. So like the more that we can do to help things for the future, the better off, Yeah, uh, you know, leaving it better place. So. Yeah, and the like, litter, that's the other. Oh, oh. Like public land and the litter is like, that my mission this year is every beer can that I see, I stop and pick up. And, wow. um, there was a comment on, on the last video that was like, people are 80% more likely to do something if they see someone else doing it. So I was like, this is a good thing. So hopefully, yeah. you know, it'll inspire someone to stop and pick up those cans. And yeah, you, you guys are in a really powerful position there. Just like you teach your kids to do that. Well, there's people watching who might not have, it may not have occurred to them like, Oh, I should do that. But because they see you and you're, your guys doing it, that's, that's going to lock in. So yeah. you have a real opportunity to, um, do a lot of good with, was, with, um, you know, kind of leading the, the, the hunting, uh, DIY hunting. Yeah. You know, I, I had a, a quick sidebar story. I took my son turkey hunting here right after the opener, terrible weather, but you know, it was snowing and raining and he was like, dad, I don't want to go turkey hunt. So we went, checked out this new area and we parked the truck and we're walking along and there was a water bottle laying there alongside the road. And he walked over, picked it up all on his own, unprompted. Mm. Dad, can you put this in your pack and we'll throw it in the truck when we get back? And I was like, at four years old, after watching me do those things, wow. I was like, that was pretty cool. It was a big yeah. proud dad moment. Four-year-olds are small. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. But, no, I think, uh, you know, for me, I just encourage people to get out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. and go try something new. I think I always talk about like you live in this box, right? And, you know, the case in point, we're in a physical shop and you've got this area and it's like, man, I could add on to this and I could punch out and do something here, but I've never done, I've never been a craftsman. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go try and do this. And now all of a sudden you got a little bit bigger box to live in. Yeah. You know, so I, I go that, I put that into the experience of it and it's, it can be a big dawning, scary task at the beginning. You go do it and only like, Oh, that, you know, or you have a failure and you learn. It's like, well, I'm never going to do that again, but I, I can make adjustments to go do this next time. And all of a sudden your box is a little bit, a little bit bigger, a little bit fuller, and you know, and you just kind of keep adding to that. So, yeah, and it's it's like one thing leads to another because mm-hmm. once you do one little project or something, then not only is that one not as scary anymore, but then the next one doesn't seem quite as intense. And like with hunting, I could imagine if someone was brand, brand, brand new. You know, you you don't have to think about the Colorado elk hunt. Just no. just get a rifle and go shooting, go, go, yeah. you know, rip off 25 rounds it's into a gravel pit somewhere. And that is a, one of the steps that will be less in, likely to hold you back, you know, yeah. when the time comes. So the more of those little steps you can do. The other side of it, we really encouraging is to, for, for like, especially adult onset hunters that, have, you know, didn't grow up in a hunting family is find a mentor, find a friend that someone that has a little bit of experience, but like, Hey, can I come along? Don't get a tag. Just go camp, be in a part of that experience. And the flip side of that, if you are a hunter, find someone to mentor to yeah. like bring, you know, if, if your kids are out of the house, but there's a young, you know, a nephew or someone that has the, the desire to go take them, do something small, take them trout fishing, get, start paving that way for someone. Um, and that, like I said, just, the more people involved, the better it will yeah. be in the long term. And I'm, I'm sure there's parts to hunting that you can, you don't have to ask, correct me if I'm wrong, but like taking, can I come with you on your hunt? There's got to be things you can offer like, hey, 
if I come on your hunt, I will wash every dish. I will be your dish slave. Yeah, and that's exa- probably might yeah, make it a exactly. little more enticing, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, dishes. I don't know. I guess cooking in general, but yeah, no, all of those I'll things, cut all right? the firewood needed. Yeah, there you go. And, yep. Um, yeah. And mostly just be cool. Cause people probably are most likely to invite you if they like hanging out with you anyway. Yeah. So just be a, be a cool person. Cody, thanks so much, man. This is no. really cool. And in case you guys didn't connect, obviously you're in Roseburg. This is our Roseburg has a couple of YouTube guys kind uh-huh. of knocking it around town Who here. Who else so. is doing? Well, just us and you. Yeah. I mean, maybe there are more. Yeah, no, I, that's what I think. Uh, Everybody I meet is like, do you, there's another YouTube guy in town. Do you know yeah. Cody? And I was like, no, but I know about him. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was, it was great. Um, Brady, who's, yeah, he's been, he's in the loft too. And yeah. he's like, you need to connect with Nate. And, and actually Phil Rokas introduced, oh, I came yeah. over to the house when you guys were yeah, building. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, trying to figure out what makes sense for a collaboration. So we just need to figure out what yeah. makes sense. Did you go. work with Phil or how did you get to know Phil? So when I worked at Waldron's, he's best friends with the Backens and Tom Press. Oh. So they, Phil was always in there buying fish and tackle. Oh, fishing. Yeah, he's yeah, a fishing exactly. guy. Exactly. And yeah. so that's where I originally met him. And he's he's a riot. I yeah. love Phil. And yeah. he's brilliant. <laughs> um, I got a funny story on him. He, you know, he, he was talking about building drones. And so I'm like, well, I want to see one of these drones. So he, like I said, Phil's genius. He built this drone from scratch, mm-hmm. brings it out of the house. It's like a four foot <laughs> drone, six blade. He goes up, flies it. Well, he has a little glitch from the motherboard and that thing takes off and boom, right into the tree. Oh, geez. And so now we're looking at this drone. Oh, he's like, well, it. I'd like to salvage some of those parts off of it. So we start thinking about how we're going to do this. So I'm like, well, I got my recurve bow. I got a fishing rod with a spool of braided line. We can tie that. This, yeah. this. So we tied tied the fishing line to the tip of the arrow, drew back, shot. I was trying to just shoot it over it and get the line and pull it back while I shot his drone with my bow. <laughs> <laughs> Pulled it out of the tree. And he's like, well, it was toast anyway. So we got a few parts off of it. But it's like, anyways. if you're going to crash it, you might as well kill it dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, Phil was the one that actually was, you know, wanting me to inter- introduce me to you and your dad. So oh, that's that cool. how that, that all started. But. Well, um, we, I'm sure we'll come up with something because in your world, there's enough um, tools and... I don't know, uh, modifications to yeah. equipment and gear, who knows what. Exa- so we'll, exactly. we'll put our heads together and come up with something. I like uh, it. We need to get my dad there. He's obviously the guy who would be, um, uh, most, ca- most able to help you out there, but we'll come up with something, put it together down the road. Thanks everybody for chiming in. We'll link of course to your, uh, channel. You guys have a podcast as well. That's, that's, um, f- if you like this type of conversation, that that's your next stop because yeah. you guys are putting this kind of thing out regularly, right? Yeah, it's we put an episode every Monday out. Um, it's called the Born and Raised Audio Experience, and we've got for us. It was like there's not like one avenue of how we're going to record these things. We do a lot of Q and A stuff where mm-hmm. listeners actually call in to get a chance on the air. We do all sorts of live recordings, remote, however it is. A lot of a lot of campfire stories too. Just while we're out on the hunt recording, cool. so kind of anywhere and everywhere we can get some audio that's awesome yeah it's fun all right i love what you're doing thanks cody thanks for for uh, checking in everybody and we will catch you next time appreciate it